Instead of names and dates, let's focus on the narrative. I'm Adam Blesky. Each month I sit down with a friend to have a real conversation about a part of history that's new to them. The goal is to make connections, to foster curiosity, and to appreciate how incredible the story of humanity truly is. I'm not an expert. This isn't a lecture. This is HI 101. Last time on HI101, we discussed the DNC headquarters break-in at the Watergate complex in 1972. We also discussed the Nixon administration's suspiciously strong denials of any connection or involvement whatsoever, despite strong evidence to the contrary, and Nixon's decision to take a more active role in covering up the connections he was denying. Today, we're going to see how those very deliberate actions would eventually lead to the discovery of a criminal conspiracy and Nixon's resignation. Let's begin. I'm here on HI101 with Ethan Blesky. Hello. And we've been talking about the Watergate scandal. It's riveting. It's very, very good, isn't it? I'm. It's it's an amazing story. Yeah. You, like, history is usually very, very messy. Um, and and you can get, get lost in story. Mm-hmm. This one feels very self-contained, very story-like. Yeah. Part of, part of what helps with that, I think, is... A couple of things. Number one, really the the initial scandal uh, mm-hmm. of the break-in can be summarized in a sentence or two. Yeah. And that simplicity is is really helpful in kind of keeping everybody on track in terms of, of narrative. Yeah. The fact that everything balloons out from there is, is a whole different thing, but it comes from such a specific point in time that you don't have to worry as much about all these outside factors as... You do with so many other things in history. Yeah. Now we are like these two parts that we're doing are focusing in on mainly on about a two year period, which mm-hmm. is a very short period of time compared to some of the things that I've done on this show. <laughs> um, and that helps. But yeah, the second thing that I think really helps is the, the strong involvement of uh, journalists in this story. That's very true. It is framed as a story very, very well mm-hmm. from the beginning. Yeah. And, and, yeah, that that work put in, you know, everyone talks about Woodward and Bernstein because they deserve the credit. But yeah. there's a lot of journalists that are working on this story. And there's a lot of times I find with modern history, being able to look to journalism as a source is very, very helpful because they're often able to categorize and frame things in a much more concise and much more informative way mm-hmm. than certain other historical sources i mean if you get into old journalism it's it's crazy biased not that all journalism isn't biased but it's it's blatantly at, at one point politicians owned newspapers and they used them to slam each other that's oh, yeah. that's what they did yeah there were partisan newspapers all over the place yeah also you know historians they all have their own agendas yeah there there is at least while there is an agenda behind journalism um a lot of that 
agenda is to inform the public. Mm -hmm. And that's a very, that's a very helpful (laughs) agenda for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think those two things in general help this story stay on track a little bit better. And it's, it's, it's looking like they're going to be shorter episodes, which I think is fine because it it doesn't need to be terribly long. The, the, The main beats and even some interesting sidebars are, they don't take a ton of time to go over. They're incredibly interesting. Yeah. They're, uh, very useful to know in terms of contextualizing a lot of U.S. history. There's a lot of stuff that goes on after Watergate that you need to know something about Watergate to yeah. really fully appreciate. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I I don't know how it took us so long to get around to this topic, but I'm, <laughs> I'm glad we finally did. Yeah. Um, let's get back to the story. Last time we uh, we finished up with the conviction of the five Watergate burglars, as well as uh, the two members of the committee to reelect the president that had sort of directed the uh, the operation. And and that was on January 10th, you said? Uh, it was actually on January 30th. 30th. Mm-hmm. And the president takes, officially gets sworn in on what day? Oh, I didn't note that. It would have been a couple of weeks before. I think it's the, I think it's like the first Tuesday in, in January or okay, so, the second Tuesday in January or yeah, something I, like that. I had the eighth stuck in my head for some reason. So that may have just been around that time. So, yeah. so this is like, th- these guys got convicted three weeks after he officially gets sworn in mm-hmm. the second time. Yeah, that's right. I'll look up the, the, the actual date and I'll put it in the notes so everyone has it. But yeah, it's, it's very close on the, on the heels of uh, Nixon being signed in for a second term. Wow. Yeah. This is all overlapping, like, yeah, like, like a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that people don't realize is how much of this happened before his second reelection. Yeah. Mind you, as we discussed last time, that information getting out to the public in a, in a meaningful uh, way, not, not just like the information getting out, but also like the public will behind it mm-hmm. um, just took longer back then. Yeah. Was maybe a little bit more diligent in how it got out, but mm-hmm. definitely took its time. Yeah. Uh, they don't have Twitter. No. For better or worse, I'm not sure which. <laughs> in March of 1973, a couple of couple of months later, the judge who had been in charge of this whole case, I don't think we na- named him last time, John Sirica, federal judge. Um, okay. This is the guy who was squeezing all the other burglars with these very, very long sentences. Yes. There was a rumor that one had flipped, had given him extra information on a, or promised him extra information on a larger conspiracy for an incredibly truncated sentence mm-hmm. well it turns out that the one that flipped was james mccord the fi- the former cia agent oh the other four were sort of anti-us cuban nationalists so that was the story that was going around anyways and okay uh, yeah there was this whole typical cia type thing march 23rd of 73 judge Sirica comes forward and says you know here's the statement from james mccord mm-hmm. um a bunch a bunch of y'all perjured yourself in the testimony for these uh for these burglars yeah he's saying it right here by the way he got a two-month sentence so he's basically free at this point (gasps) wow yeah y'all better start talking Mm -hmm. what's going on here march 28th a top aide we we talked about him uh, a little bit in the first half john ehrlichman testified that no one in the white house had any prior knowledge of the burglary burglary he testified this on Nixon's orders, mm-hmm. obviously. And this is the first straight up under oath lie that is being told by the Nixon administration. Yeah. There's there's other things here and there, but like this one is the 
This is the big one. It, it's a big lie. Or at least the first big one. Yeah. Now, there's a really interesting figure in all of this named John Dean. We mentioned him again in the first part, but we've mentioned so many names. It's worth yeah. going over these people again. Dean was the presidential council. Right. The, the, the SEL? Yeah. SEL. Council. Uh, presidential. Oh, I thought that was an acronym. Oh, for something. no. I was spelling it out. C-O-U-N-S-E-L rather than council. C-I-L. Oh. Yeah. You said something about legality and lawyers, and I thought I thought there was some sort of acronym that I missed. <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's my fault for being less clear than I could have been. No, no, no. Counsel is in as in lawyer rather than counsel is in yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a body of people. Yep. Um, so he's he's responsible for legally advising the president. This is in contrast to like the attorney general who's actually prosecuting law yeah. on uh, you know in, in in a federal capacity. Mm-hmm. He, he's the guy who tells a. a president you know hey that law you're trying to get passed that's not gonna stick legal. <laughs> yeah you can't do that so john dean john dean honestly believed that the president didn't know what was going on here that's kind of what you want from your lawyer when you're doing something like this <laughs> a little bit yeah <laughs> um but he did kind of know what was going on because he had been talking to people mm. And he knew that Ehrlichman knew what was going on. Yeah. Which he he wasn't terribly happy about <laughs> for obvious reasons. He went to Ehrlichman and two other people, the, the campaign leader, John Mitchell. Mm-hmm. So the guy who had signed off on the Watergate burglaries. Yeah. And uh, Nixon's chief, chief of staff, H.R. Haldeman, and basically said, I think that we have not only a legal duty, but a moral duty to both protect this presidency and put an end to this whole investigation. We should be turning ourselves in. We know what's going on. I know what you guys did. Mm -hmm. You guys know what you guys did. Yeah. Let's go to judge Sirica and say it was us. Mm -hmm. We're it. Because at this point they don't know what McCord has told him. Mm -hmm. They know in general terms what McCord has told him. But the thing is when you've got someone that flips, the last thing you want to do is play your entire hand. Yeah. You dribble information and then you see what everybody else is willing to cop to. Yeah. Because sometimes they'll admit to exactly what you already know. Overbite. Sometimes they'll overbite. And that's what Sirica is hoping for on this one. Mm -hmm. April 15th, 1973. Dean goes to Nixon and he says, Listen, I think that for the good of this country, that the four of us should take the fall for this. Yeah. He doesn't use the words take the fall because he honestly believes that that is the end of the conspiracy. Yeah. He believes that this was something that was perpetrated by uh, the CRP, meaning to do what they believed was best for the reelection of the president. Yeah. And breaking a lot of laws in the in the in the process, Mm -hmm. all without Nixon's involvement or knowledge. But this conversation that Dean has with Nixon is kind of weird. Okay. Notably weird. Notably enough that Dean remembers it because throughout this conversation, Nixon is very careful with his phrasing, which isn't a thing that he normally is careful about. Yeah. And he asks a lot of really like probing questions. Okay. You could call them leading questions. He asks some questions about campaign finances. Yeah. He asks some questions about how much he knows. Uh, he asks him about how much he believes that other people know. Okay. 
And Dean comes away from this conversation a lot less certain about Nixon yeah. and Nixon's motives because he is he is certain. He he doesn't have any proof, but he's very, very sure that the reason that Nixon was asking him those questions was because Nixon was recording the conversation. Thing is, there weren't any microphones. Yeah. Not that he could see. Yeah. And that's weird because he had been taped on conversations with the president before. Presidents taping conversations was nothing new. Every president since uh, FDR had uh, yeah. tape-recorded conversations that they believed would be important in the future. Yeah. If nothing more than for, you know, having them uh, transcribed for later reference. Yeah. Makes sense. But those involved getting out, like, a tape recorder. And setting the microphones up and... A tape recorder in 1973 isn't, like, you know... We're not talking about one of those little, like, what do you call them, Swift mics? Yeah. Yeah. They're not even, like, a voice memo on your phone. No, it's it's a big device. It's, you you got to carry it around in a case. It's not easy to carry. It's the size of a fairly sizable TV. There are reels that end up at reels. I, I, I'm, I'm looking at my computer tower and I'm thinking, that's smaller than a real a real machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty heavy piece of uh, machinery. Also, the microphones are not small. Like, there's, there's a lot of... Mm-hmm. If, you know when you're being recorded. Yeah. Let's, let's cut to the chase here. You know. Yeah. Dean felt like he was being recorded, but he couldn't see any recording paraphernalia. Gives you an uncomfortable feeling. Two weeks later, April 30th. Again, we're, we're less than a year after the, uh, uh, the break-ins. Mm-hmm. And we're only about four months after the inauguration. April 30th, Nixon asks for the resignation of Ehrlichman. Of mm-hmm. Haldeman. Yep. Uh, he fires John Dean. Okay. Because he has the authority to do so. He's uh, an employee rather than like an appointed official. Yeah. And he also asks for, res- for the resignation of uh, Attorney General. Uh, it's a guy named Kleindienst. Yeah. The reasoning behind Kleindienst's uh, uh, resignation is that even though Nixon knows that Kleindienst is completely clean. Mm-hmm. It serves two purposes. Number one, Kleindienst is well known to be uh, a close associate of both Ehrlichman's and Halderman's. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't really make sense to ask for the resignation without maybe a, because the resignation is being framed as like a precautionary measure, basically. Okay. It seems like some of my staff may know something and therefore, you know, in the best interests of the administration, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can't really do that without like Kleindienst being a well-known affiliate of those people pulling him off too otherwise mm-hmm. it looks like you know a lot of very specific stuff yeah the other thing is nixon himself was close with Kleindines. they were uh colleagues and friends for 20 years at this point yeah and that allows nixon to take on this air of like i take no pleasure blah 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 you know this isn't about any sort of personal feelings this saying is... goodbye to a friend yeah, yeah yeah all of that stuff um you know the optics on it are pretty good and Nixon uh, appoints a new attorney general, a guy named Elliot Richardson. It's probably the most normal name we're going to come across, but it's still <laughs> a very good name. Yeah. It's obvious at this point, though, because of these resignations, that there's definitely something more going on here. And Richardson appoints a special counsel uh, for the investigation of the Watergate break-ins uh, on the assumption that there is some sort of uh, larger conspiracy than just what's been admitted to so far. Yeah. All again at the behest of Nixon in this hope of creating an illusion of being uh you know both innocent and interested in justice yeah so this this special counsel is named archibald cox 
And a, a special counsel means that he's actually uh, outside the reg- regular judiciary hierarchy. So he's not within the normal. Yeah. Uh, you know, he doesn't he, he kind of reports to the attorney general, but isn't really part of that department. Yes. Which gives him a little bit further freedom to investigate people who, you know, otherwise an investigator might run into some conflicts of interest with. Yeah. We find out later that around this time, Nixon also promises uh, Ehrlichman and Haldeman, Dean and uh, Miller, he promises all of them pardons for any crimes that they're actually found guilty of. All of them? Yeah. Huh. Well, they're all the people that know what's going on with this conspiracy. Yeah. And if they're all found guilty, yeah. all clam it mm-hmm. and are all pardoned, then it ends. Yeah. So Nixon's hoping to, like, he's he's essentially set like a, a controlled burn here. Yeah. He's gotten okay. rid, of bun- rid of a bunch of staff members, but it's insulating himself from yeah. the scandal. Yeah. The problem here is that all of this is very intentionally done with full knowledge of what the crimes were and mm-hmm. what these people have done and what he himself has done. And that's the real scandal of Watergate. It's not the break-ins themselves, although that is bad. Yes. What ends up being the main issue is the cover-ups. Yeah. And that's what's going to bring Nixon down. There's a parallel investigation opened by the Senate around the same time. You'll find this happens a lot with um, uh, major incidents or scandals within the government there'll be parallel investigations running at the same time run by separate departments which seems unnecessary and kind of bloated in in one sense but in another it's not the worst thing in the world because it means that you get various perspectives on it yeah separate views yeah and hopefully they should cover off any blind spots that any one department might have Mm -hmm. also if any one department is implicated in anything it's a check on their uh, ability to um, obstruct justice yeah which is pretty common with american government checks and balances yeah it's quite senate covering the the house and it's very much in the spirit of the the entire organization of the government for sure um john dean is actually called before the senate investigation committee okay and that conversation that he had with nixon in the Oval Office is still not sitting right with him anymore. He's not so sure about this whole take the fall for the whole conspiracy thing. Yeah. He's feeling a little bit more willing to cooperate with any investigation. And he was already talking about moral and legal responsibilities. I, John Dean made a lot of mistakes in, yeah. in the whole scandal. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I think most of his mistakes come from a place of being put in an extremely difficult position of being the legal advisor to an incredibly crooked person. Mm -hmm. So I think I feel for him slightly more than some of these other players. Yeah. He almost comes across as naive in this, uh, in this narrative. Mm -hmm. I I wouldn't say that's a fair characterization of, of him or his character or his, uh, abilities, but compared to compared to some of the other players. Yeah. Yeah, comparatively naive. Yeah. Um, certainly a capable person, but he didn't realize who he was dealing with. <laughs> Dean decides to tell the senatorial committee about that conversation and specifically about the fact that he felt like he might have been recorded. He's honest with them that he has no proof of it whatsoever. So this whole thing happens because he has a feeling that he's being recorded. I mean, investigations run on 
you know, less fumes than that sometimes. Wow. The, the investigation isn't open because of that feeling. The investigation no, 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 no. is just looking into the burglaries and the conspiracy surrounding it. No, no, no. I just I just didn't know exactly how the, the recordings themselves were, were ever found. Dean was a very accomplished lawyer. Yeah. He knew a leading question when he heard one. Mm-hmm. He knew the difference between a conversation and an interrogation. And what Nixon was doing was trying to establish very specific evidence. Yeah. It might have worked on somebody who didn't know what was going on. Yeah. Huh. Dean told the the senatorial committee about his suspicions. Yeah. And they decided to um, include that in some of their preliminary interviews for other White House staff that they were going to invest or to uh, uh, interview. And during the preliminary interviews with uh, a fairly like a comparatively to the rest of the players, lower level assistant yeah. at the White House uh, named Alexander Butterfield. <gasps> I, I know every single one. Um, they asked him if there's any sort of recording system in the Oval Office. Mm-hmm. And Butterfield was really hesitant to answer at first, and he was very cagey. And finally, eventually, under basically threat of perjury, perjury. <laughs> um, admitted that there was a new system that had been installed by Nixon that automatically recorded everything that happened in the Oval Office. When was this? During his first term. And sorry, uh, what month oh, that, are we in now? That we're in now? We are that, in... That Alexander Butterfield reveals that. Yeah, we are in... It's either May or June. Uh, I, I forget which. But yeah, this is... We're, okay. We're around a year after Okay. It wasn't just the Oval Office, though. There were also recording uh, systems installed in the cabinet room. Okay. Uh, Nixon's private office. Okay. Um, he had uh, other uh, offices in uh, what's known as the old executive building and other places. There, there were more places that these automatic, invisible recording systems had been uh, installed. Hmm. He basically bugged his own offices, but, you know, on a permanent basis. And yeah, anyone who would ever do sweeps for bugs knew they were th- that they were there. So they were very well hidden. And very clear from the sounds of things. I mean, certain of them were kind of muffled and by today's standards weren't great. But by 1972 standards, not bad. For the time, mm-hmm. yeah. This Senate hearing was big enough news because, I mean, this conspiracy has been revealed. The, yeah. You know, all, all of these major players within the, um, the campaign uh, offices have been implicated. It's big enough news at this point. You know, things got off to a bit of a slow start with the post. We're now at a point where all three major television uh, networks in the United States uh, want to televise this entire senatorial hearing. Okay. Wow. The three of them actually take turns, uh, one a night, covering the entire thing. Again, there's three channels. Yeah. (laughs) So there's only so much real estate on the airwaves for something that goes on. It goes on uh, nearly months. Yeah. nearly three months uh, total between May 17th and August 7th. It's televised and, and officially being held. Mm-hmm. You know, that's outside of the, the preliminary interviews that we were talking about. For, for three months, you know, these networks are deciding not to show I Love Lucy or whatever and putting on a senatorial hearing instead. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. It's estimated that 
over 85% of Americans watched some portion of this hearing. That could be 20 minutes somewhere in yeah. that three month period. But that's the kind of numbers that like the moon landing tries to get, right? Like yeah. that's a, that's a massive amount of viewership. I mean, what percentage of America would have TVs at that point? That's a great question. That's a very good question. <laughs> I, I bet you it's lower. It might be lower. You're, you're, that's a that's a good point. I hadn't even considered that. People are very concerned. Hmm. Confidence in the administration at this point is a little shaky. They're just not quite sure what to think because this is a matter of how high does it go. Yeah. And from a partisan standpoint, there are Democrats who are out for blood on this one. Yeah, they want to see like they want to take down everyone that they possibly can. But, you know, that's every senatorial hearing that's ever happened. <laughs> that's just kind of how it goes. It's not yeah. that they had any sort of prescient knowledge. Yeah. But there's a lot of diatribes about we need to know who knew what, when, et cetera, et yeah. cetera. On July 16th, Butterfield is called before the committee on TV. Like this is the official hearing. This is the okay. this is no longer a pl- preliminary interview. This is yeah. under oath in front of the entire committee yeah. on television, millions of people watching. And they ask him about the recordings. And on national television, he admits the existence of recording devices. This is a big deal. Yeah. There's nothing technically illegal about that really but like that's one of those things that doesn't need to be technically it doesn't need to be illegal for it to be like wrong not just wrong but also like what's up there yeah like why would you need to do that yeah what's going on that you need those recordings all the time yeah cox immediately moves to subpoena all of those tapes give me every single tape that you've got yeah the senate investigation does the exact same both of them go now now yeah we need those yesterday get them to us right away and nixon says no oh he cites something that's known as executive privilege okay executive privilege is this idea that um there is a certain amount of both privacy and immunity that is expected uh, to go along with the office of president and other extremely high ranking government uh, uh, positions. Basically the idea being that if every single word that you say or write Mm -hmm. could potentially become public information you would never be able to act with the level of candor and decisiveness that might be required of a situation. Yes. You'd constantly be questioning not only your actions, but also your phrasing. Yes. That's understandable. Yes. I would even argue that's reasonable. Mm -hmm. However, the question all of a sudden becomes a confrontation between the executive branch of the government Mm -hmm claiming executive privilege over the subpoenaing of tapes that is uh, pertinent to an investigation Mm -hmm. versus the judiciary branch who is saying that a subpoena overrules executive privilege, especially when there's a criminal investigation happening. Mm -hmm. We need to know this. 
the system isn't really feeling designed out, for this. Feeling out some new territory here. A little bit. Because executive privilege, while as a concept, has been a thing. Yes. For forever. Yeah. Um, hasn't really been challenged in exactly this way before. And no one knows quite how to handle it. But Nixon decides to take the lead. A couple months later, October 20th. Throughout those two months, by the way, he's constantly telling Cox, drop this. Yeah. It, make it go away. I'm not giving you the tapes. Mm-hmm. Cox is saying, you have to give me the tapes. You are you are in violation. You are obstructing, uh, obstructing justice. You need to give me those tapes now. Um, Before I charge you with obstruction of justice. It's being escalated through the court system at this point. Yeah. October 20th, Nixon goes, this is getting out of hand. I want Cox gone. Now, the president can't fire a special counsel. Yes. He does not have that authority. However, the attorney general does, as head of the Justice Department within the the, uh, cabinet. Mm -hmm. So he orders Elliot Richardson, fire Cox. I don't want him around anymore. Richardson refuses. He says, no, this isn't right. He's done nothing wrong. He's just trying to conduct an investigation. He has a lead. Yeah. He's trying to follow it up. Yeah. You should give him the tapes. Give him the tapes. And he resigns in protest. He says, I won't be party to this. This is wrong. Yeah. Nixon says, fine. He goes to the deputy attorney general, uh, a guy named William Ruckelshaus. Every time. <laughs> Orders him, fire Cox. Yeah. Rockleshaus resigns. I he said, I won't do it. He works his way down to a guy with the title Solicitor General, which does not sound that impressive to me. It's it's a it's a perfectly fine title, don't get me wrong, that, but that, that's a legal term. Solicitor. It's a it's the British call their some of their lawyers solicitors. That's that's true. He's not exactly the attorney general. No. He says, you, Robert Bork. His name is Robert Bork. Um, I've heard that one before, too. I'm going to make you attorney general. You're going to fire Cox. Bork says, okay, fine. All right, I'll do it. His reasoning later, he said basically that he didn't see a problem with the legality of the request. But beyond that, he also felt that the longer that this went on, mm-hmm. the more damage it was doing to the office of the president. Yeah. You know, not just Nixon himself, but like the, the sort of theoretical office, the, yeah. the, the larger concept of presidency. Of presidency itself, yeah. And decided that he would be the one to put an end to this whole process. Uh, how much I buy that personally, I'm not sure, but... You know, we'll go with it. What matters is that Bork fired Cox and appointed a new special counsel, which he had to do. There mm-hmm. was a, a special investigation going on. There had to be a special counsel. Yeah. Um, they appointed a guy named uh, Leon Jaworski, and he continued on with the investigation. But this was absolutely retaliation by Nixon against Cox for basically infringing on what he saw as his rights as president. Yeah. And asking for something that Nixon didn't want to give him. This led to the very, very famous comments about not being a crook. Yep. Uh, They were actually given to a convention of uh, Associated Press editors. 
uh, taking place at Disneyland of all places. Um, I did not know that. Yeah, they have convention halls there, whatever. Yeah. Uh, that's where he stood up and told everyone that he is not a crook. He's done nothing wrong. All of this, that um, he's not acting in a way that, you know, he's not acting as a criminal. This is mm-hmm. him defending himself against uh, unfounded charges, basically. Yeah. I think what we're seeing at this point in time is Nixon losing control of the situation. I think it's very, very fair to say. He no longer has everything under his thumb. Yes. He's still acting as though he does, though, which is understandable because what else do you do? Yeah. But uh, yeah, he's got nothing to back it up, really. Mm -hmm. Jaworski continues on in in the investigation. He can't just stop. And does he continue asking for the tapes and badgering? The um, the case has already been submitted to the Supreme Court. Okay, it's it's worked its way up through the court systems to the Supreme Court at this point. Yeah, and so I think the only thing that could be more blatantly obstructionist at this point would be to withdraw that case. Yeah, and that's not going to happen. No. That would be like ride in the streets level, yeah. Uh, 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 flagrant disregard for public institutions and yeah. the mechanisms of the law. And as as much as Jaworski was put in as kind of a hopefully more compliant investigator, yeah, he still had a legal duty to investigate. To investigate, yeah. So no, he's he's not going to pull something like that. Okay. It's, everything's a little too far along at this point for Nixon to have any effect on it. But in a lot of ways, that makes the firing of Cox and all of those different attorney generals that much worse. Almost worse, yeah. It's so um, retaliatory that it feels petty. It, all I can think of is it seems mob-like. It, yeah. Which, which is a, a bad comparison to make, but that sort of send a message yeah yeah and there's this 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 may not change much of the outcome but i'm sending a message yeah and from anyone else i think that would have an air of desperation mm-hmm. but that's not the sense i get about this event by the way uh, the firing of all of these attorney generals was known as the the saturday night massacre i'm not sure if i, if I mentioned that no you missed that one um yeah Huh. And it's a real bad look on Nixon. Public sentiment has turned against him yeah. strongly at this point. Because well, I imagine with that much of the pop of the popular vote going towards him in the last election, the people would feel pretty betrayed at I, this point. I think that would be a fair char- uh, characterization. It's you're you're seeing you're seeing someone that you were expecting to be better than this mm-hmm. act in a in a, a very very base way, mm-hmm. and that's worrisome when it's the leader of your entire country. Yeah, and a lot of people just are going. If there's nothing in the tapes, just give them the tapes. It's that old chestnut of if you have nothing to hide. Yeah. So, the longer he he delays on this the worse he looks. The more he does to block it, the worse he looks. And yeah, from from here, from the the, the massacre on, public uh, opinion of Nixon is just going to continue declining until Spiraling, it hits... Spiraling, snowballing record down. ...record lows. So um, I think we'll take a quick break here, and when we come back... Well, this is the final act of the whole story, so 
Yeah, I can pretty much guarantee that things are going to go very, very bad for some folks. <laughs> we'll be right back. I'm back on HI101 here with Ethan Blesky. Hello. And things are looking a little tight for Tricky Dick. Th- things are grim. Yeah, he's not doing so hot. He's made some uh-ohs here couple of whoopsies it's it's not yeah man let's let's just pick it back up where we were mm-hmm. we're, we're into 1974 at this point okay i think this is one of the things that people don't realize about the watergate scandal in retrospect it seems like it happens over a very short amount of time yeah it takes nearly two years for final legal action to uh come to fruition against yeah. nixon these things take time both to reveal themselves and to properly prosecute yes you don't just whip together charges of conspiracy overnight it it takes time to swing the full action of all of those arms of the government and of the law yeah it's important to remember something about the character of the fbi which is that it was essentially founded to fight organized crime yes and if there's anything that the fbi is good at it's taking down a crime organization. Mm-hmm. It's good at a lot of things. Don't get me wrong. The FBI yeah. is a very competent organization, <laughs> but they are founded on principles and methods that are focused on bringing charges against a person who maybe doesn't technically have any crimes against them, or uh, that's a bad way of phrasing it. It's very, very hard to prove that they've done anything wrong. Yeah. They've gotten very good at taking very low-level people, uh, flipping them on higher-level people, and flipping them on higher-level people until they figure out who's really at the top of everything. Yeah. And a lot of that comes from fighting organized crime. Yeah. They learned a lot of lessons there. They learned a lot of lessons there, and the number one lesson is follow the money. Yep. It's very, very helpful in prosecuting (laughs) a very large and far-reaching conspiracy. And where it's led them so far is the head of the re-election campaign for Richard Nixon. Yeah. Which is already pretty high. That's pretty high. The question at this point on most people's lips, especially in, in light of these recordings not being made available, is does Nixon know? Did he know? How much did he know? When, when did, did he, he know? know? And that's the key. Yeah. They need to know when he knew all of this. Yeah. And they're just, they're not sure. But these tapes... If they can get their hands on their ta- on those tapes, they're hoping that this will be the final piece of ev- evidence they need to bring all of this back to Nixon himself. Mm-hmm. A lot of this, in retrospect, sounds very obvious because Nixon now has this character in the public uh, uh, consciousness of this extremely crooked politician. And for obvious reasons, given the the information that we've talked about so far. But keep in mind that the public at this point is more divided and unsettled than anything else. They don't know anything for sure. There is a potential for it. There is even uh, an avenue to uh, ascertaining that information. But they don't know what the final answer is going to be. It's also easy to look at this and go, these prosecutors are dogging nixon like they're going after him hard the thing is with the legal system that's what prosecutors do yeah that's kind of their job and if and if he wasn't these tapes would also prove that he wasn't yes 
you know? And there's a reasonable level of concern around these tapes, which is Mm -hmm. there are things that have been discussed on these tapes. If it's automatically recording everything that happens in the the Oval Office, it comes back to the magic words, national security. Yeah. There has been stuff discussed on these tapes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, You think that Nixon's never said something that he probably shouldn't have been recorded saying about the Soviets? I've heard some of those tapes. (laughs) Yeah. I've, I've heard some of the language Nixon used. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that a little yeah. bit. Nixon in private was a very different man than Nixon in public. Mm-hmm. Public Nixon was a Quaker and yep. he was uh, opposed to violence and, you know, had served when his country uh, requested that he serve and, you know, was was interested in remaining in Vietnam. But it was for a greater moral good of preventing communism. And yeah. He was looking for an honorable exit out of Vietnam on on America's terms. And, and yeah. he seemed like a fairly he seemed like a man with integrity. He had good PR. He had very good PR, a lesson which he had learned from Kennedy in a lot of ways. Yeah. But the amount of uncertainty introduced by not even by the tapes yet but by the lack of the tapes mm-hmm. has uh caused significant pr problems for him as well and in march uh 1974 march 1st actually a grand jury is pulled together to investigate this grand juries don't get used that often i'm not sure if you're familiar with the concept they're quite a bit bigger than a normal jury yes um generally 23 people okay and usually they're convened for, like, the bad crimes. Like, this is the kind of thing that you get pulled together for, like, a treason case. Yeah. This grand jury indicts seven conspirators, including a, several people that we've talked about numerous times at this point. Okay. Um, but, even more importantly, they named Nixon as a secret, unindicted co-conspirator. Which means that they believed that he was involved in the conspiracy. Mm-hmm. But they didn't actually level any charges against him. Okay. So this comes about for a couple of reasons. Number one, by charging Nixon, they're in some murky waters constitutionally. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's some question about, can a president be charged with a crime while being president? Yeah. And there is some precedent saying that, no, they can't. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, would it jeopardize the case against these other conspirators? Interesting. The other problem yeah. is that if they name Nixon, they risk people going to ground. Mm-hmm. And so while he's technically tied to the case, he's also sealed so that they don't get too spooked. Yeah. Because they want to investigate this without anyone deciding to get all Bernie with the evidence. Yeah. So... The people who, the, the seven people who were actually named, some of them had already b- pled guilty to conspiracy. Okay. It, it was, uh, you know, guys like uh, uh, Miller and, um, yeah, it was it was guys like Ehrlichson. Because they had already pled guilty to the conspiracy back in the previous rounds of, of investigations when they were, you know, quote unquote, taking the fall with, you know, under the Senate investigations. Yeah. Because they had already pled guilty. And they were being charged with the same conspiracy as other people that they were charging this time. Mm-hmm. That meant that basically... They were charging at the same time so they could be charged for the same crime, right? Yeah. It's a crime that they already pled guilty to. So that means that their other conspirators were basically guaranteed to be found guilty. Yeah. Yeah. 
Rico. That's the name. Yeah. Rico case. Yeah, it's a little bit like a Rico case. It's a lot like a Rico case. Again, the parallels with organized crimes are very, very apparent. Yeah. In light of this, the administration decided to relent a little bit on the whole tape thing. April 29th, uh, the administration releases redacted transcripts of all the recordings, or all the recordings, um, rather than the recordings themselves. Okay. This has been prepared by the administration, redacted by the administration. Yeah. Basically, they're saying anything that's been redacted or left out entirely. Don't ask. National security. Don't ask. They also redacted a lot of profanity. <laughs> yeah. The the preferred term was expletive redacted. So throughout these uh, transcripts, there's little, you know, square brackets with expletive redacted all over the place. Whole, whole bunches. Now, to be clear, these aren't just released to the courts. These are being made public. Yeah. And the Nixon that, imp- that appears in these transcripts is not the Nixon that the nation knows. Yeah. To put it mildly, it reflected very poorly on Nixon's character. Mm-hmm. Um, he swore a lot. He said a lot of terrible things about people. He, yeah. Uh, put staff members down constantly. Yeah. Um, Nixon was a harsh and brutal man in private, or yeah. what he considered private. Uh, and he never expected any of this stuff to get out. And sometimes that's the most honest picture of a person that you can get. Mm-hmm. And the picture was not good. And keep in mind that this isn't even the recordings. This is transcripts of the recordings. And the public starts calling for his resignation over the transcripts. Wow. There are calls for resignation from within the Republican Party. All right. We don't need to get into specifics. Point being, the guy was not who people thought that they had voted for. Yeah. There was no specific admission of guilt in these tapes anywhere. And that almost makes the calls for resignation that much more remarkable is that there's no evidence of him actually doing anything wrong in these tapes. Yeah. He's just a bad person. Yeah. And for that to be enough for people to turn on on their <laughs> own party members. Yeah. Is well, I mean, things things kind of ebb and flow in terms of divisiveness, but you know, sticking by your party members is kind of a kind of a major thing in politics in every era. The Republicans are called the good old party for a reason. Yeah, exactly. The press have a field day with these these transcripts. They're publishing mm-hmm. all sorts of choice bits out of that. Oh. The public hates it. But then July 24th, 1974, three months later, the Supreme Court finally gets around to their decision on this case of the recordings. Yeah. Again, it's a slow moving mechanism, but in Supreme Court terms, it's actually relatively quick. Yeah. Stuff like this gets bumped to the top of the queue, so it only takes like six months to do. Um, July 24th, the Supreme Court rules uh, unanimously that executive privilege does not protect the recordings. Okay. Um, it, it's an eight to zero ruling. Uh, there's nine Supreme Justices, but one of them had been, like had just been appointed by Nixon, and he went, I can't vote on this. Conflict of interest. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Less, less because he's worried about protecting his career or something like that, and more because he is the definition of conflicted in, in interests on this one. Yeah. Um. So he did the right thing and recused himself. Awesome. 
Now, the released recordings, oddly enough, contain material that didn't come out in the transcripts. Hmm. Or there were certain spots in the recordings that were heard a little differently by the people doing the transcripts than uh, people listening to the actual recordings heard. All right. All right. I don't mean to make all of these sound malicious, necessarily. No. Some of it is just the act of transcribing tape is grueling work. Yes. Um, probably more grueling than most people realize. It's It's awful, awful work. But part of it, I mean... It was the White House administration that did the transcribing. Yeah. Those people are also in conflict of interest. So I'm I'm sure not all of those mistakes were uh, unintentional. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Still another devastating blow to his PR. Well, not only that, but some of the conversations that were found within the recordings that hadn't made it to transcripts were actually problematic for Nixon. <laughs> Uh, as far as the case goes? Yes. Okay. Specifically, the tapes showed that Nixon approved hush money to the burglars. All right. Basically told them, I don't care what it costs, just make this go away. Yep. It also showed that Nixon understood that some of the actions that he was taking... Were less than legal? Well, specifically construed uh, con- uh, constituted obstruction of justice. Okay. He admitted on tape that he knew what he was doing was obstructing the investigation and that this can't get out, basically. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of a problem. Yep. It's kind of a problem right there. But again, there's still this question of do they have all the information? Because it took a while to find it, but in December... It's discovered that nearly 19 minutes of tape have been erased. I was wondering when we were going to get to the 19 minutes. Yeah, it's it's 18 and a half or something like that. The official story from the administration is that longtime Secretary Rose Mary Woods had accidentally erased all of that tape. Mm -hmm. Um, She had some sort of foot pedal mechanism for recording. There was also a foot pedal mechanism for using the phones. And the story is that somehow she held down the record button over a phone call of 19 minutes yeah thought it was to do with the phone system i don't they took photos of the setup and they're not even close to each other the two different foot pedals no one bought the story no No. not even then no one bought everyone feels exactly how you feel listening to this right now (laughs) sure Uh uh-huh okay rosemary woods that's three names by the way rose mary woods oh okay yeah huh huh Further sections were found uh, that were erased. It wasn't like that's the main one because it's so it's so long. It's that's a long conversation. It's hard to tell. I mean, it, it it came down to like forensic investigations for the others. Yeah. Between five and nine other sections had been erased. Yeah. Why they had been erased. Who knows? It's it's still not known, really. What was there? Who knows? Some of it was kind of reconstructed. Some of it wasn't. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, evidence had been tampered with. Yeah. So add another one to the pile right mm-hmm. i'm just curious uh if they found out like what days or what sort of uh time of the year it was oh um or if even if it's important it's not terribly important yeah so in and around all of these recordings coming out mm-hmm. the house had already begun proceedings for an impeachment process yeah um you know based on the conspiracy charges with you know nixon being a a party of them, uh, as well as the transcript transcripts coming out, all of this. Impeachment is one of those things that takes some time to do right. Yeah. 
and they decided that they were going to try and do it right. So they set up a committee to basically look into the matter first. I mean, it's one of those things that's kind of like a like a classic, like, oh, there goes the government bureaucracy, you know, we'll move to create a committee to investigate, to, you know, blah, blah. Yeah. But it's, it's an important part of government. You need someone to look into something extensively and then make their report to the wider government. Yes. That's how things function. Yeah. And as these recordings come out, they start forming the actual case for impeachment. We, we should talk about impeachment a little bit because it's one of those words that I think people use a lot without necessarily understanding what it means or what it does or yeah. why it exists. In U.S. law, there's really only three things that warrant impeachment. It ends up covering a wide umbrella because the three things are treason, yep. bribery, okay, and something that's referred to as other high crimes and misdemeanors. And that's the one that's, you know, that's, yeah. that's the useful one. Yeah. So obstruction of justice would fall under that one? Sure, absolutely. Okay. Um, there's there's plenty of things that could fall under it. The thing, the, the reason that impeachment exists is because of those legal protections that exist around the office of president and, and other government positions. Mm-hmm. You need something parallel because you can't just have someone immune to all prosecution. Yeah. And impeachment is the mechanism by which an elected official can be removed from office if they're found to have committed uh, any crimes and then, mm-hmm. if warranted, can be pr- uh, prosecuted as a private citizen. For those crimes, yeah. So impeachment is not always a path to being removed from office. Okay. But usually that's the intended goal. Of it. Okay. Only two U.S. presidents have ever been impeached. Andrew Johnson. Yep. And Bill Clinton. Okay. Nixon was not actually formally formally impeached. So He stepped down? Yeah, he resigned okay. before he was able to be impeached. Um, I always get those two mixed up. I always I always think that Clinton stepped down and, no, and no. Nixon was impeached, but I always get those reversed. Well, every conversation about impeachment ends up landing on Nixon, which is interesting because he wasn't because he wasn't actually he wasn't actually impeached impeachment in the united states is a two-part process again it comes back to that fundamental character of government Mm -hmm. we need checks and balances yeah so here's how it works the house of representatives congress impeaches uh an official usually we're talking about a president Mm -hmm. um impeachment involves uh leveling of charges okay um so it's similar to an indictment yep And it requires a 50% uh, vote by the House. Then, if an official is impeached, Mm -hmm. the case moves on to the Senate, who decides whether to convict or acquit. But in the the Senate, it's not a straight majority needed to convict Mm -hmm. Uh, it's actually a a supermajority, so two thirds. Okay. So uh, the Senate has 100 seats. Yep. You need 67 votes yeah. to uh, actually convict uh, on an impeachment. Okay. Both Johnson and Clinton were impeached. So the House voted to impeach. But neither, they weren't convicted. Neither were convicted. Okay. And that's why they were not moved, removed from office. Out of curiosity, what was Andrew Johnson's um, situation? Well, we, we, we can talk about both. But Johnson followed... Um, 
he, he was part of the restoration era. He was, he was after the civil war after Lincoln. Yeah. And basically what happened was there was a lot of division within the the party at that point in time. And he, he was a Republican like uh, Lincoln and he wanted to get rid of one of Lincoln's appointees who was causing issues. Okay. There was a motion or sorry, there was a law passed by the house I'm going to forget the specific name of it, but it was like the 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 term act or something like that that was basically passed literally only to protect this one appointee that basically said once he's appointed, he has to serve so much uh, so much time. And Johnson said, I don't care and fired him. OK, the reasoning behind it was that the wording of the uh, law actually stated that no one uh, appointed during the current administration or, or it, it was it was worded or structured around people appointed in the current administration. And because he had been appointed by a previous president, he was saying it didn't apply. But that's all that's all like very like picky. Yeah. Um, the point is, he wanted this guy out. He had every right as president to get him out. The House decided to try and stop him by passing a law that was later found to be unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. Johnson called them on it and the House moved to impeach. In Johnson's case, he was one Senate vote away from being convicted. Huh. But he was not. He was very, very close. Politics were bad in that era. And I think that's a very understandable thing. Yeah. Turns out the Civil War doesn't exactly just straight up end in 1865. Yeah. It's got a bit of a long tail. (laughs) Um, Clinton, on the other hand, everyone seems to... think that that whole case you know, we're, we're stepping kind of outside of the 20 year rule but yeah i think it's i think it's relevant um the issue there was not his affair with monica Lewinsky. it was about lying under oath about his affair with monica Lewinsky. yes at which point um, which is articles, also an obstruction of justice case correct uh perjury um oh perjury yeah, yeah. obviously yeah so he was he was uh he was impeached on on perjury charges okay now Note that both of these things are not really in that list of either treason or bribery. Mm-hmm. They're kind of falling under that really ambiguous other crimes and misdemeanors. Yeah. And at one point I saw the process of impeachment described as basically whatever the House feels like is an impeachable offense is at that moment in time an impeachable impeachable offense. Okay. The point being like it's not a set in stone thing. No, it's not. If you do X, then we impeach. Yes. Articles of impeachment are drawn up. It's very similar to a bill. Mm -hmm. Um, It's voted on by the House. And if it passes, you're impeached. Mm -hmm. I was about to say it's as simple as that. And obviously it's not a simple thing, but Mm -hmm. in certain ways it also kind of is. It's just that gaining the political will to actually pass articles of impeachment is no easy thing. Again, it's only been done twice successfully. Yeah. Articles of impeachment have been drawn up against plenty of other presidents frivolously. Yes. Um, I mean, very recently, uh, George W. Bush was uh, subject to articles of impeachment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barack Obama had articles of impeachment drawn up against him. Yeah. Uh, not that long ago, I think it was only a month or two ago now, uh, Donald Trump had articles of impeachment presented by uh, four Congress people. Okay. Um went nowhere but yeah you know most of these attempts don't go anywhere yeah. a, a serious bit at impeachment is a much different thing than the, the usual kind of almost protest yeah uh bid 
the key though for someone facing impeachment is that two-thirds majority yeah or super majority i should say keep in mind that in general the united states is split fairly close to 50 50 when it comes to uh seats in both houses Mm -hmm. obviously there's swings either way and occasionally you get a super majority within uh one of the houses for one of the one of the parties but yeah that's rare Mm -hmm. and really not something that you can ever count on yeah so that means that in almost every case unless you happen to have a supermajority in the senate which basically never happens Mm -hmm. you have to have people of your own party willing to vote to convict for an impeachment to go through that's the hurdle that you have to get across if you want to impeach a president okay and enough republicans at this point were vocal on their their disdain or being against nixon that he got spooked they ran estimates i mean these are you know this is a white house administration they've they've run the numbers (laughs) yeah estimates put the vote in the house at about 300 out of 436 in the house to impeach which is well beyond a majority yeah yeah, that that only needs a straight majority and in the house in the senate they pegged it at 60 out of 100 minimum were willing to convict wow so guaranteed no close absolutely definitely the articles of impeachment have been officially announced at the end of july Mm -hmm. um july 27th the first article is announced as obstruction of justice uh the 29th they announced the second which is abuse of power okay and the third article of impeachment july 30th is contempt of congress okay all of these, you'll notice, ordered others to commit perjury on his behalf. Yeah. The the abuse of power that they're talking about here isn't the cover-up. Yeah. Because that's where he committed the most crimes and the most grievous crimes. This is where he refused to turn over evidence. This is where mm-hmm. he, you know, is, isn't related to these clandestine uh, intelligence gathering operations. It's bullying people into taking the fall for him. Dean is a key here. Yeah. <laughs> Dean is the key here. If he hadn't been trying to incriminate Dean, well, Dean was in the process of trying to take the fall for him. Yeah. Dean never would have flipped. Hmm. And the kicker on all of this is that if he had, if he had cooperated, if he had not been so keen on protecting himself, yep. Dean would have gone and taken the fall for him. Yeah. And never would have said a word. Dean goes to him at this point and says, listen, I've been cooperating, like, just so you know yeah that that's a thing mm-hmm. so he kind of knows that the, the jig is up he's got a, articles of impeachment against him he knows that the vote is not looking good yeah so he releases what's known now as the smoking gun tape it was recorded june 23rd of 1972 so six days after the break-in this is where they have that quote of him asking who ordered this yeah but it's a discussion between nixon and haldeman okay specifically discussing how to cover up any ties between nixon and the break-in okay it lays out the ties between the burglars and the crp yeah it proves that nixon was aware of them yeah that he acted intentionally to cover them up Mm -hmm. it proves that he was involved from the beginning it proves that he had while he he did not specifically order the burglary that he had no real surprise at the fact that things like this were going on Mm -hmm. on his behalf yeah 
it showed that he was willing to pay them off. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone who heard this, there were there were still certain members on the congressional committee for the the impeachment who were waffling on whether or not to recommend impeachment. Mm-hmm. There were ten members who uh, had actually voted no on all three articles of impeachment. They were in the minority. Yeah. It was a it was a committee of about forty five or so. As soon as this tape com- comes out, unanimous uh, support for impeachment. Three days later, August eighth, nineteen seventy four, Nixon decides to resign. Yeah. He goes on national television in the evening, announces his decision. In and it's an interesting speech because the, the resignation speech does not admit to anything. Mm-hmm. He cited lack of congressional support and its negative effects on him, uh, on his ability to do his job as president. Mm-hmm. It cites uh, the good of America. It talks about how if he was to expend the amount of energy necessary to defend himself against these allegations by a Congress that he's categorizing as like extremely hostile towards him. Yeah. And inferring or implying that uh, is unfairly accusing him, Mm -hmm. that that legal battle would take up all of his energy and time. And he wouldn't be able to serve as well. Exactly. Yeah. All of which sounds really good and really noble, but at the end of the day doesn't admit to anything. Mm -hmm. And in fact points to his innocence yeah um i read a quote from a biographer uh of richard nixon who basically said that the uh speech was a masterpiece uh he thought very very highly of it and uh nixon's ability to gracefully paint himself in a good light while admitting to nothing yeah this biographer was conrad black okay (laughs) the newspaper magnet famously charged with fraud yep (laughs) I just found it very funny that he's such an admirer. Um, (laughs) The resignation took place, not immediately, but the next morning, August 9th. Okay. Um, Vice President Gerald Ford took oath of office right then and there. And Nixon famously got on Marine One, the helicopter, and did the double Vs as he got on and Mm -hmm. flew off. And the helicopter basically took him to, uh, well, took him to an airplane and he flew back home to California. And from all reports, he had a bad time in retirement he really hated it he never really saw himself as having done anything wrong apparently he would get up and be at his desk every morning by 7 a.m and have nothing to do and his former press secretary would just sit with him for hours alone that's it's kind of really sad it's kind of really sad but also the guy tried to subvert the entire american government to his own will so you know (laughs) um Ford had actually only been VP for about eight months at this point. So this was a pretty good move, all things considered, because Mm -hmm. that means that he was more or less free of any suspicion of involvement in this conspiracy. Nixon's former VP, uh, Spiro Agnew, had resigned eight months before this because of a because of an unrelated corruption investigation (laughs) into his time as a government uh, uh, official in maryland before he came on as vp all right yeah there was some misappropriation of funds uh whoops whoops spiro agnew by the way look up a picture sometime i have never seen someone who looks more like they have a new jersey accent in my entire life (laughs) he um he he uh he borrowed money from frank sinatra 
yeah. uh, after retiring to help fight his legal battles. He borrowed like 200 grand from Frank Sinatra. And that kind of tells you everything you need to know about the kind of guy <laughs> that Spiro Agnew both was and looked like. <laughs> oh, man. It's like 40 years too late, but that guy probably still owned a zoot suit. Like... <laughs> Now, it's worth noting that Nixon never actually pardoned the guys that he had promised to pardon yeah. when they were offering to take the fall for him. Yeesh. So they were still liable to all of these charges. So so did they serve the full, like, 40 years? Or did that oh, get strike, the, struck those, down? The 40 years, yeah. No, the 40 years got struck down. They they, they did it varying numbers of months, but no one yeah. really so served more than, yeah. say, a year okay. or two. Most of these crimes ended up being fairly minimal in terms of jail time. Yeah. But, I mean, there were 69 officials who were charged under the investigations. Yeah. 48 of them were found guilty of something or other. Wow. It was far-reaching. When people talk about a conspiracy... Mm -hmm. That's that's a conspiracy. That's a conspiracy. It, it was a... It, it, it was a very real concerted effort by a group of people in power to cover up a crime. Mm -hmm. Yep. A number of crimes. And that, yeah, it's, yep, sure is a conspiracy. <laughs> Ford pardoned Nixon, famously. Yep. September 8th, so um, about a month after, well, exactly a month after his, re his re uh, resignation speech. Yeah. And the pardon was for all crimes he committed or may have committed or taken part in pretty broad that's that's big ford claimed that he felt that it was best uh, in the best interest of the country to move on basically we could keep prosecuting this and that and you know all of this and it remains this sort of open wound on the national psyche and, mm -hmm. or he could as he put it be the one to put an end to all of it rise above yeah and and so he talked about it in these very like noble sort of let's all soldier on together and put this behind us yeah. sort of terms. There's a lot of people who believe this uh, contributed heavily to his defeat in the 1976 election. <laughs> hey, I mean, elections are complex things, but yeah, it's not the worst argument I've ever seen. No, it was a, it was an extraordinarily unpopular movement for obvious reasons. Yeah. Nixon had been exposed as an incredibly corrupt official and people wanted to see him serve time for it. Yeah. Again, understandably so. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so so there was there's a lot of disappointment for uh, for that. In fact, there was even uh, an allegation that Ford had basically traded a resignation for uh, for amnesty for a pardon. Hmm. That he had struck a deal with Nixon: if you step down, I will pardon you, and then I get to be president, and you get to go free. Yeah, and avoid the indignity of of uh impeachment yeah of of a total impeachment yes yeah it, it almost certainly would have been uh successful if it had gone through yeah um it would have been it, it had gotten so bad that it would have been political suicide to not vote to convict at that point yeah the 1974 midterm elections were uh, a bit of a bloodbath not good for ford <laughs> Uh, well, the Democrats gained five seats in the Senate. Wow. And 49 in the House. Whoa. Um, the Democrats who gained office in 1974 were nicknamed Watergate Babies. Okay. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> 
and and for good reason. I mean, obviously, again, elections are much more complex than that, but there were a lot of pro- protest votes happening there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 The investigations can, uh, continued into 1977 before they were all wrapped up and put together, put to bed. Yeah. Uh, investigators felt that they had really discovered the full extent of the of the conspiracy. Mm-hmm. And there's not really a lot more to tell there. Most of the people who are convicted under all of this are, they were people that were in a really, really, really bad spot in that they were working for the White House during the tenure of Richard Nixon. Yeah. And were asked to do things that were not legal, Mm -hmm. but were likely threatened with uh, some pretty severe repercussions if they did not comply with those requests. Yeah. So the legal guilt of all of these people is fairly unquestioned. Yeah. The... The moral guilt of them might vary a little bit more. I think if yeah. you looked into case by case, that is not a thing that we do on this show. That is far no. too granular and it's going to get super boring for a very interesting story. <laughs> so we'll we'll leave all of those there. There's also a number of reforms that come out of the entire scandal in terms of ethics expectations for elected officials, yeah. uh, for the conduction of com- campaigns, yep. um, for disclosure of donations to said campaigns yeah i was gonna say there should i i think that that the donation thing is very different yeah yeah the Um, way that those are handled now has changed quite a bit and the level of oversight expected of a campaign mm -hmm. is um you know on par with financial institutions there's no Mm -hmm. there there's no latitude for the kind of very kind of crude double cross that happened to pay off the the watergate burglars yeah Um, that's that's really not an option anymore uh the release of tax returns became commonplace after nixon because we didn't get too deep into it but there was a little bit of shady stuff going on with some like back taxes going uh, with nixon huh it was never anything that had really enough proof to come to anything or or in sufficient amounts that people were terribly upset about it and it certainly wasn't the forefront of the case no not at all um but that being said there was a, a point during the investigation where uh to sort of save some credibility uh nixon had offered to pay any back taxes owing and mm-hmm. you know some, yeah. some small stuff like that that we sort of skipped over in terms of or in favor of uh uh being a little more concise yeah and so since then most uh most politicians have or most presidents have released tax returns of some sort um yeah i know i'm sorry no no, no it's it's fine like we said at the outset there's there's parallels here there's distinct ones yeah some of them are are incredibly glaring and and as i said at the outset of this topic it's it's not predictive in any way obviously but yes it's no wonder that there are people today drawing parallels to watergate and i mean mm-hmm. that's why we started talking about this in the first place yeah is to contextualize what what was watergate what does watergate mean for the american government what does it mean mm-hmm. for the office of president yeah what has been expected from presidents since then mm-hmm. uh in in reaction to uh, what Nixon managed to pull off for a very long time. There's reforms in a nub- number of other organizations as well. Um, there's uh, legal ethics uh, changes that come out of it because there's so many lawyers that were working with Nixon that pulled yeah. some bad stuff that okay. various attorneys associations across the United States has kind of looked into like, well, what, you know, what are our ethical policies and, and mm-hmm. what, uh, what level of, of uh, conduct do we expect from our attorneys and, and things like that. That that was fairly uh, significant as well. But I, I think the main ones were recording conversations ostensibly, officially, uh, on the record at least, came to an end. Mm-hmm. 
and future presidents realize that they're not really that above the law when it comes down to it. Like when the rubber, when the rubber hits the road, still responsible for your actions. Yeah. And Nixon had tried the whole, but I'm president, I can do what I want trick. Mm -hmm. And it didn't work. Bill Clinton famously sent two emails in his time in office. Yes. I understand that he's a while ago now. He stopped being president in 2000. Yeah. So. The email was a thing. That was done specifically so that it could not be subpoenaed. Yeah. Electronic conversations are fair game. As soon as the Supreme Court rules that the president's uh, recorded conversations can be subpoenaed for the purposes of a criminal investigation, mm -hmm. precedent is set that any electronic conversations can be subpoenaed. Well, I remember even when uh, Barack Obama was uh, just starting as president he and he did not want to give up his BlackBerry. Mm -hmm. Yep. That was a big deal. Yep. That's that's true. That was a big deal. And, you know, that's that's the thing about as we get more and more modern is, you know, changes in in communication make things like this a little bit more hazy again. What mm -hmm. you can what you can accomplish, but also uh, where those communications fall under the law gets a little bit tricky. Mm -hmm. So if anything, despite all those changes, Watergate has taught politicians that it doesn't matter how new they are. It doesn't matter how slick they are. If people find out you have them, they're fair game. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter what they are. So it's made them a little bit more careful. And in a way, it has eroded that executive privilege that we talked about. It's made people a little more careful. Whether that's a good thing or not, you know, I don't really feel qualified to pass judgment on. Yeah. But when you look at future political scandals, you see the president frequently insulated from the fallout. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of the Iran-Contra affair under Reagan. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing how high up it gets without Reagan ever having gotten any word of it whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But there's no proof of it. So, yeah, it taught politicians about plausible deniability. Yeah. So, yeah, in a nutshell, Watergate is about obstruction of justice. It's about attempts to use the executive position for not just personal gain, but personal protection. Mm hmm. And ultimately, the uh, success of the uh, American system of checks and balances to overcome that and uh, seek justice when uh, something wrong was done. So it's a simple story, but it's not a simple story. It's a very, yeah. it's a very convoluted and, and, and confusing one at times. So yeah. um, that being said, you know, Nixon was never charged with anything. He lived out the rest of his life. Yep. And in a way, the United States lost a little bit of innocence in the process. And now anytime anything bad ever happens, people stick gate at people the end. People stick gate at the end. And everyone knows that it's a catastrophe. <laughs> yeah, that's Watergate. Any questions, anything you want clarified further, any comments? What did you think? Did you enjoy that one? I did. Uh, I really like it. Um, yeah, it's it's bigger than i thought right but it's also not as um murky as i thought it might be yeah a lot of the murkiness of watergate comes from intentional obstruction yeah which when you frame it as a story is very simple <laughs> yes and um a lot of the widespread nature of it mm -hmm. i think 
if anything, for me, points to the nature of real conspiracies versus conspiracy theories. Yes. Which is that you don't do something like that and have no one talk about it. And you don't do something like that with a very, very small number of people. It requires a lot of people mm -hmm. to put into place a, a level of obstruction um, that, that Nixon was operating under. Yeah. You don't, like... I, Every time I do the conspiracy theories with Becca, it's kind of like, um, you know, the, the moon landing where it's kind of like, okay, well, you have to have like 50,000 NASA uh, employees believe it or, uh, you know, not talking about the fact that they're yeah. faking a moon landing yeah. or whatever. And it's like, that's, that's not how that works. You need like one guy to blow that open. Yeah. Enter Dean, right? Mm-hmm. A funny feeling. Yeah. Just sort of started this whole snowball rolling sure and i'm sure there were other funny feelings in other investigations that have led to absolutely nothing and oh for sure but 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 that that was enough in this case that that's remarkable yes i agree people focus a lot on deep throat when it comes to watergate um like in the mythology of, of watergate yeah it wasn't as important as i thought it was really the main thing that uh, that deep throat did for watergate is um to help draw public attention to the links between the Nixon administration and the uh, burglaries, like very, okay. very early on, okay. like around the time of the election early on. Yeah. And once that political or when, once that public interest was there and once that political will was there mm -hmm. to actually look into this, the journalists involved kind of stepped back a little bit. Yeah. Because the mechanism of the judicial system comes down hard and mm -hmm. very methodically and very brutally takes their place. They're not needed anymore yeah. to drive the story forward. A lot of the mythology of Deep Throat comes from the fact that Woodward and Bernstein end up writing what is essentially a definitive history of the Watergate scandal yeah. because of that involvement. And because they're putting themselves front and center in their own investigation and their own investigation front and center. Yeah then of course Deep Throat is going to take on this big personality. Yeah. There was nothing that Deep Throat revealed that eventually the FBI didn't also make public. Yes. That being said, we do get into a bit of a speculation at this point, which is if the Post hadn't been pushing these links as hard as they were, mm -hmm. if they weren't publicizing all of this information the way that they were, mm -hmm. would the investigation have been made as public as it was? Yeah. And again, this is pure speculation. Probably, yeah, it would be fine. But we also know that Nixon had people inside the FBI who were loyal to him and were willing to commit crimes yeah. on his behalf. That 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 was proven. <laughs> and so a lot of the importance for, for Deep Throat is that when he was going to Woodward and saying, you know, here's what's going on, like keep digging. Yeah. He didn't know whether or not any of that was going to come out. That was in the face of a very successful presidential campaign by Nixon mm -hmm. and a disastrous one by McGovern yeah. coinciding. And this was a man inside the FBI going, Nixon should be in jail knowing what I know mm -hmm. and no one's talking about it. I need to get that story out. Yeah. So at the end of the day, was he terribly important? Not directly, not specifically, but in terms of educating the public on the potential concerns of this investigation that eventually came to fruition. Mm -hmm. um, very important. What else? It's, it's amazing how much of it was Nixon's own doing. Mm -hmm. 
he came so close to getting away with it. Yeah. He came very, very close to getting away with it. Yeah. He also had a lot of people who were willing to do crimes for him. Yeah. This, this whole thing is just... It's almost disheartening in a way. It is. Yeah. It's, it's a bit disillusioning in terms of like your expectations for public officials. Mm-hmm. I think we want to believe the best of politicians or at least we start out life wanting to believe the best of politicians. Yeah. You, you want, you want to hope the public servants are there for performing public service Yeah, uh, for, for the good of their communities, for the good of their uh, countries. And, you know, obviously for the most part, it's people looking for a job and yeah, the, the level of engagement or sincerity varies wildly but (laughs) you want to you want to hope at the very least they have the integrity not to straight up commit crimes and then try to cover up those crimes yeah um and nixon was the definitive the definitive proof that even that last little shred of dignity that we were or that americans were holding on to for their politicians was no longer valid wow it's a little rough it's it's pretty rough. I, I think I referred to it as a loss of innocence earlier, and and I I mean it quite yeah, sincerely. Yeah, that 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 came to ring very true. Yeah, the the effect it had on the sort of the morale of the 1970s in the United States is is pretty severe. Between that and and Vietnam, um, the optimism of the 60s, woof. Uh, it it didn't last too long out of the 60s. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, anything. Anything further that you can think of to, to say about Watergate or is that just about do it? I think that just about does it for me. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. It was a pleasure having you here. Oh, thank you for having me back. It's always fun. And we'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Gerald Ford would go on to lose the 1976 presidential election quite badly with many pointing to his pardoning of Nixon as a major reason why. None of the conspirators promised pardons by Nixon in exchange for cooperation would ever receive clemency. To this day, scandals still have the word gate put after them so you know that they're serious. And despite the crimes he committed, Richard Nixon would claim innocence for the rest of his life and die a free man. Next time on HI101, we'll be talking about the War of 1812. That episode will be up on February 1st. Since HI101's format can result in some factual errors, I encourage you to visit hi101.ca and check out the corrections I post for each show there. That's hi101.ca. If there are any errors I haven't addressed on there, please let me know and I'll add them to the notes. You can also reach me on Facebook at facebook.com hi101podcast, on Twitter at hi101podcast, or by email at contact at hi101.ca. It doesn't just have to be about corrections. I look forward to hearing from listeners for any reason and respond when I can. And remember, HI101 is a broad introduction. If the subject we've discussed today has caught your attention, you should start looking for more information yourself. No matter how much you enjoy the show, I promise you'll find even more good stuff out there. I'm Adam Blesky, and this has been HI101. Thank you.